Hi there. Thank you for listening to ASMR Bedtime Stories. All of the stories read to you on this podcast are either available in the public domain and are therefore available for free and fair use, or I have obtained express written permission from the author publishers to audio record these episodes. I hope that you enjoy listening, and please feel free to rate the podcast, provide me any feedback, send any requests my way, and you can also follow me on Twitter to get updates and interact with me that way. You can find me at ASMR Bedtime Stories, or my handle is bedtime underscore ASMR, and I'd love to hear from you. Hi there. I hope that you've had a good day and are ready for me to read you to sleep. Tonight's bedtime story is a short story in a poem format by Lewis Carroll called The Hunting of the Snark. So if you're ready, go ahead and get snuggled up in your blankets. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. expense had 
silver for notes. 
his whiskers and hair and shook the dust out of his coats. The boots and the broker were sharpening a spade, each working the grindstone in turn. But the beaver went on, making lace and displayed no interest or care in the concern. Though the barrister tried to appeal to its pride and vainly proceeded to cite a number of cases in which making laces had been proved an infringement of right. The maker of bonnets ferociously planned a novel arrangement of bows when the billiard marker with quivering hand was jogging the tip of his nose. But the butcher turned nervous and dressed himself fine with yellow kid gloves and a ruff. Said he felt it exactly like going to dine when the bellman declared it was all stuff. Introduce me now, there's a good fellow, he said, if we happen to meet it together. And the bellman sagaciously nodded his head, said that must depend on the weather. The beaver went simply galumphing about at seeing the butcher so shy, and even the baker, though stupid and stout, made an effort to wink with one eye. Be a man, said the bellman in wrath as he heard the butcher beginning to sob. Should we meet with the jub-jub, that desperate bird, we shall need all our strength for the job. Fit the fifth, the beaver's lesson. They sought it with thimbles, they sought it with care, they pursued it with forks and hope, they threatened its life with a railway share, they charmed it with smiles and soap. Then the butcher contrived an ingenious plan for making a separate sally, and had fixed on a spot unfrequented by man a dismal and desolate valley. But the very same plan occurred and had chosen the very same place, yet neither betrayed by a sign or a word the disgust that appeared in his face. Each thought he was thinking of nothing but snark and the glorious work of the day, and each tried to pretend that he did not remark that the other was going that way. But the valley grew narrower and narrower still, and the evening got darker and colder, till, merely from nervousness, not from goodwill, they marched along shoulder to shoulder. Then a scream, shrill and high, rent the shuddering sky, and they knew that some danger was near. The beaver turned pale to the tip of its tail, and even the butcher felt queer. He thought of his childhood, left far behind that blissful and innocent state. The sound so exactly recalled to his mind a pencil that squeaks on a slate. "'Tis the voice of the jub-jub," he suddenly cried, this man that they used to call Dunce. As the bellman would tell you, he added with pride, I have uttered that sentiment once. "'Tis the note of the jub-jub keep count, I entreat. "'You will find I have told it you twice. "'Tis the saw 
so long. He dreamed that he stood in a shadowy court with a snark with a glass in its eye, dressed in gown, bands, and wig, was defending a pig on the charge of deserting its sty. The witnesses proved without error or flaw that the sty was deserted when found, and the judge kept explaining the state of the law in a soft undercurrent of sound. The indictment had never been clearly expressed, and it seemed that the snark had begun, and had spoken three hours before anyone guessed what the pig was supposed to have done. The jury had each formed a different view long before the indictment was read. spoke at once so that none of them knew one word that the other had said. You must know, said the judge, with a snark exclaimed fudge, that statute is obsolete quite. Let me tell you, my friends, the whole question depends on an ancient manorial right. In the matter of treason, the pig would appear to have aided but scarcely abetted while the charge of insolvency fails, it is clear, if you grant the plea never indebted. The fact of desertion I will not dispute, but its guilt, as I trust, is removed, so far as relates to the cost of this suit, by the alibi which has been proved. My poor client's fate now depends on your votes. Here the speaker sat down in his place, and directed the judge to refer to his notes, and briefly to sum up the case, but the judge said he never had summoned up before, so the snark undertook it instead, and summed it so well that it came to far more than the witnesses ever had said. When the verdict was called for, the jury declined, as the word was so puzzling to spell but they'd ventured to hope that the snark wouldn't mind undertaking that duty as well. So the snark found the verdict, although, as it owned, it was spent with the toils of the day. When it said the word guilty, the jury all groaned, and some of them fainted away. Then the snark pronounced sentence, the judge being quite too nervous to utter a word. When it rose to its feet, there was silence like night, and the fall of a pin might be heard. Transportation for life was the sentence it gave, and then to be fined forty pound. The jury all cheered, though the judge said he feared that the phrase was not legally sound. But their wild exultation was suddenly checked when the jailer informed them with tears such a sentence would it not 
which the bellman rang close at his ear. Yes. 